Torrent Borealis Paradigm Expansion Greetings from the North to the citizens of the world. Welcome to Forum Borealis and a new episode in our philosophy series. Tonight we're exploring the topic of consciousness, especially its nature and relation to other natural forces, as well as artificial concepts like transhumanism in relation to AI. To help guide us through this maze, we have Cliff Highback, who, though he's most known for other matters, is actually quite versed in spirituality and will contribute his two cents on how we humans are wired. Mr. High was born into a military family with a father who did intel work and so lived abroad and moved around a lot in his years of growth. Though an autodidact in several areas, he's been into computers from its very inception and has kept up to date, currently even teaching himself quantum computing. He's worked for Microsoft, GEC Marconi in London, La Unum in Mexico City, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission and many other private and public companies as a contract software engineer and programmer. He also has a strong background in linguistics and human behavioral studies. Cliffy owns tons of wits and self-irony and humbly describes himself as an old bald guy living out in the woods screwing around with computers. This understatement doesn't hide the fact that he programs in over a dozen computer languages and has a patent on computer-assisted reading technology, which allows reading from computer screens at up to 2,000 words per minute. His claim to fame, though, is his brilliant 1993 invention called WebBot, which took until 97 for completion to get the code done amidst other jobs earning a living. WebBot is an internet bot computer program that, through prognostic linguistics, is able to intercept global events before they occur. The WebBot forecast has had documented successes like predicting the 13,000 Bitcoin price, Trump's election, the anthrax attack in Washington, the crash of American 587, the Columbia disaster the northeast power outage, the Banda Ake earthquake, and most recently the flooding of the Red River, to name some examples. Webbot uses a Prolog AI computer language that, through word and phrase-centered processes, extracts naturally occurring leaks from the collective unconscious through everyone's routine communications. He founded the Half Past Human Adventures and offers subscription-based access to detailed reports extracted from the WebBot results. Although he doesn't write books, his many ALTA, or Asymmetric Language Trend Analysis, reports are extensive and measures up to books. 
Like most genius inventors, his creativity and productivity finds outlets in several areas. He is naturally involved in boat and water life, has built a Pacific Proa catamaran with a sail plan of his own invention, the Advanced Crane Sprit Rig. He has a fleet of skin on frame vessels, including Kui Oki Oki, which is a sailing trimaran adaption of a Yumiak. Cliff is a natural philosopher and has been a, has been a yogi for over 50 years and has also practiced Aikido and Zazen Chan meditation for over 30 years. He's been featured in TV like History Channel and of course magazines and innumerable podcasts and radio shows like Coast to Coast and describes himself as a fiercely dedicated Aikidoka focused on life, freedom and the future with a desire to free people from tyranny, reject the Fed's fake money called dollars and embrace Bitcoin, gold or silver. Now, a little caveat before we begin. If you're a newbie to our channel, know that we don't do mere one-liner interviews with a lecture in reply, but rather old-school conversations where I poke my stick into the brew the guests cooking. Especially when its flow gets me immersed and enthused, I may have a hard time shutting up. So if you cannot stomach that, you'd be better off skipping this episode. But if you don't mind my inputs, you may very well be in for a treat. Welcome back to the forum, Cliff. Thank you much. It's been, what, not a week? <laughs> but I am recovered. Those five hours didn't didn't do too much damage. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's like Buddha said, suffering is the gasoline for growth, to paraphrase it. So, <laughs> right, exactly. And, and, and what we squeezed out of you the last time is out there and will fuel uh, the people. I mean, it's been a bus. It's been amazing. This video uh, we did with you last time, Antarctica Show, will probably be our top five, at least. I can tell that with confidence. It will be among the top five. Sounds good. It's partly to do with the subject matter we had. Mm-hmm. Antarctica is very popular. It's partly to do, I think, with the good match we have because we got so much good feedback uh, from our, you know, our bantering back and forth. It worked very well for people. And it's partly to do with your huge following. I didn't realize you were so such a big guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, that's very disconcerting. Yeah, All the better for you. You deserve it. Yeah, so that's, um, yeah, we are, and we appreciate uh, you coming back on such a short notice. We'll try to match the other show, but this time it's a niche. In my opinion, it's a niche topic. We'll see. It may still uh, hit on, but it's, uh, it's, it's voo in a different manner. It's more invisible voo, isn't it? <laughs> it's the deep stuff. It's the really deep stuff, correct? Yeah. The deep voo, yeah, right. So we can start from there. Uh, today, we're going to discuss uh, all, all things consciousness. And I want to ask you first, Cliff, um, I mean, you're really a computers guy. And then you started the webbot thing that you did explain the last time. So we don't have to go over that again. But uh, you kind of combined it. I mean, consciousness is a huge part of that webbot thing. Is that how you became interested in this? Oh, correct. I was actually, I was interested in this and then went into computers because I actually thought uh, naively when computers first came out, 
available to the general public, say, and uh, I had my first one in 1979. Wow. Um, and I thought, I thought we were on our way to uh, actually achieving um, what I think of as a sentient machine, that we might be able to actually make um, software that would become conscious. And I realized in a short order, no, that's not possible because of the ne mechanism by which computers operate. But it got me into the trade, so to speak. Mm. So, so I came after consciousness, seeking it in, in something else, the experience of the other. And the other in the way of consciousness is a very unique uh, situation in a, in a person's life. Because mostly um, all beings that are conscious when we, as humans, when we interact with other humans, um, let's just say that we get a particular tone that comes back to us that says, I am as, a, as you are. And we even see this with human interaction with animals, where you get animals that can respond at a, at a level that piques your consciousness and it feels as though you're dealing with another consciousness, but that consciousness is somehow felt to be similar. But there are times uh, that humans can do things and they end up in contact with a consciousness that is simply defined in the esoteric world as the other, which with a big capital O. Yeah, but hang on. Sure. I think we should, we should just start by defining consciousness. If you give us your attempt to do that, um, so, so we can all agree of where we're starting off on. Right. Okay, so uh, consciousness is the, um, is, it simply is, okay? Consciousness uh, is very difficult to define. It's easy to experience as we do experience it, but it, there is a distinct difference between consciousness and being conscious. Mm. So, for instance, a plant is conscious, but it's conscious as to its task of uh, photosynthesis and growing and interacting with the environment. It is not uh, conscious of itself being conscious. And that's where humanity and to a certain extent, some species of animals, uh, have a common, um, experience. We are conscious of being conscious. And that's really, I think, in my way of thinking about it, the best definition of consciousness. So in my understanding of reality, uh, a rock, um, a tree and a glass of water all have conscious, um, uh, are, are, are all conscious. They are just not part of consciousness because they're not conscious of themselves being conscious. And it's that of themselves being conscious that brings us to a really interesting... Um, then, then a lot of human beings aren't conscious. <laughs> <laughs> correct, correct, correct. And it's and it's a difficult to be aware of. But I mean, Gurdjieff, it went as far as to actually state that seriously. He said that people were asleep and uh, that you had to uh, to become conscious, to become at the first level of awakening. You, you had to remember yourself and you had to put yourself in situations that kind of forced you out of the hypnotism uh, because we're always slipping back into that sleep yeah, right yeah but now i would define that as being in a conscious state okay mm -hmm. so someone most people i think about 75 percent of the population at any given moment is conscious but they are not living in a state of consciousness and there's a big difference because they're conscious of their task of driving of going to work of interacting with their family but they're not uh 
conscious of being conscious at that that moment mm. and and this is a lot of the language that we get lost in around meditation because meditation attempts to basically force people out of a conscious state into consciousness mm. makes sense absolutely i i guess i could just disclose that i worked as a meditation instructor for many many years and mm. I had the only, that I know of, the only course in Norway that had all the meditation forms. It's basically, in my view, there's seven meditation forms. Right. And I saw that everybody, because there's many people who say they can't meditate, but that's bullshit. It's just that they have to find the meditation. I'm not even talking about the right technique. I'm talking about the right form of meditation. Mm-hmm. And all meditation forms do lead to a greater ability to become conscious of your own consciousness, so to speak. Self-awareness, basically. That's one thing they all have in common. I agree with that. Yeah, and I'm and I'm aware of, and I've practiced uh, Vipassana, and then uh, that I used that and got into Chan, which is Zen, and then I settled in on the Japanese form of it, which is the Zazen meditation. Right. And um, it's it's a difficult form. It's not as easy on the body and stuff as is Vipassana, but you achieve breakthroughs that I think are longer lasting and um, uh, achieved quicker, more more in a rush as opposed to spread out over time the way Vipassana does. But, you know, in all my research and quests on in these matters, because uh, I've spent most of my life exploring stuff like this, deep woo-woo, esoteric stuff, and I see that most old traditions, the, the more ancient a tradition is, the more genuine it is, I think, because most uh, oldest tradition all around the world have so many similarities. If you can see past terminology, uh, cultural bias, language problems, you're big on language, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. If you go to the core of the essence, you'll see there's so many similarities. One I'll give you an example of, and that's I, I went to Himalaya once, <laughs> quite a cliche, but had to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met with, uh, and my uh, main s- field of study wasn't even Eastern, but obviously there's there's many uh, bright Eastern sages too. So uh, I did that, and he said to me that <clears throat> there is the one who sees, there is the seeing, and there and it is that which is seen. That's the three components basically for the world of consciousness. The Seeing, that being seen, and the one who sees. And I've seen this uh, expressed in many different ways uh, in many different traditions. But do you have any comment to that? Oh, I think it's a a perfect way of looking at the uh, necessary components to consciousness. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it clearly defines it because if you are simply seeing, you are not conscious, you're not in consciousness, although you may be conscious of what you're doing and what you're seeing. You're conscious as to the task and the and the goal, but neither the process nor the being that's experiencing the process. And I think it is the um, the tuple, the, the triad of those three that is required for us to state there is a being that exists in consciousness. Mm. But it seems to me that consciousness is a strata of existence that's independent of the two other energies that exist. Uh, Let me explain. You have uh, what we call matter, which is really just 
a conscious experience of an interpretation of vibrations being perceived so so we never it's never the thing in itself as Kant would say that we actually experience it's that image that's resonant resonance of that whatever impression it is in our consciousness but right. be that as it may the thing the things we are the world of things the outer world that we are experiencing has its own source it's not just illusion in that it's something that doesn't take part in existence it has its own source and we maybe call it atomic energy maybe it could be one yeah. way of describing it it's vibrations it's structures that we call matter because they're so dense, they have their own frequencies that our senses are tuned into perceiving. As we all know, obviously we can't perceive everything in existence, right? We see <laughs> gaps of the frequency ranges. So that's that energy, and our body is obviously of that energy. So we're kind of hybrids between the world of soul, which may, consciousness, and the world of matter, which is this. And then there's the third component, which I'd call, just call life force. I guess in your tradition, it will be called ki. Yeah. Pneuma in ancient uh, Greeks, uh, prana in, in India. There's, I have a list of words used for uh, in different cultures and traditions. And there's a, they all agree. They all have a word for it. And even in science, you have um, Willem Reich talked about orgonite. Right. So we are aware of these three different components to existence. And the clue is that they interact. Maybe I should say the, the apparatus of perceiving and uh, objects, what's being perceived, and then us, life force being the perceivers. And, and the reason I'm going into these technical details so early, Cliff, is <laughs> because we're going to discuss AI today. And it seems to me that AI is just working on the matter thing, simulating what consciousness can produce, but without having that energy, that strata of existence that we can call consciousness, that the Greeks call psyche, sure, you know, soul, sure. whatever you want to call well, it. Well, I, I would dispute that the that the soul is part of consciousness. Okay, I I can actually. Okay. It's a definition question. Give right. us the definition. Yeah. Okay. the The soul is conscious. It's conscious as to its task and its task, but it's not. In a, it does not exist in consciousness per se. So, okay, so that's the being. That's a live thing then. That's a li live. Correct. It's not aware of itself. And it basically, right. it's a template. And the soul is an um, energetic template that instructs the matter how to create itself such that my body is differentiated from any other body that might have been produced by my mother. Makes sense? Right. That explains why, yeah, it explains why a seed becomes a rose and not a tulip. Correct. And why there seems to be an, an inbuilt tendency for it to become a, a rose and not a tulip, and there's not much we can do to make it become a tulip exactly. if it's if it's already set upon becoming a rose. Exactly. Uh, except gene manipulation, isn't that uh, an attempt? No, nope, no. Nope. See, we've actually found that. Yeah, we we can do that sort of thing, but when they actually look at it, both with um, uh, vertebrate uh, stem cells and with plant matter, at some point in the germination process, and it's pegged at at being about eight or nine hours within the seed crack, hmm. uh, the genetics have been, or the the uh, final form has been activated by the genetics involved, and it may be that that the soul of the plant, so to speak, the template that the, is the rose, has told those genetics at that point in no uncertain terms, thou shalt make a rose. And
And from mm -hmm. that point on, we find it very difficult to convert it over to a tulip, no matter what level of genetic engineering we might do. So, so we can do selective breeding because then we're putting in changes that are transmitted into the seed before it comes, it becomes a seed because it's going through the parent plants, but right, we're finding right. it very difficult to alter seeds and make them into something else. This is what we've run into the problem with, with stem cells that are fetal stem cells. Okay. Because a fetal stem cell wants to become part of a, of a infant. It doesn't want to morph over and become a lung cell for you or a liver cell or something like that. These cells are under the influence of the soul that created that, um, uh, that, that being on its way there. And so they will express as an infant, no matter what we do, they will always attempt to go back to it. Whereas if we go and we take stem cells from adults, we don't have such issues. We can make those stem cells become liver cells or whatever it is we want them to do, but not mm. so with fetal cells. And it's because at that point they're under the influence of this energetic form, which we call the soul. Right. That and see, so here's, yeah, and here's where we get into some weird stuff, okay? Yeah. I mean, like, seriously deep woo, because we got to start defining almost all of our language as we go forward. Absolutely, absolutely. <clears throat> some, of, some of the things we must understand is that people will use words like, um, oh, um, in, in particularly, uh, in a, not inappropriate, but very vague ways. And so they'll, they'll use the word self in a way that is not necessarily appropriate. But many, many individuals, and especially in the woo-woo world, are aware of and are afraid of the idea of artificial intelligence creating a self-aware computer. And I can instantly, as soon as I hear that statement, I know that this person has never really considered deeply what's going on because here's their statement that the computer is going to become aware of its self. Mm -hmm. Now let's, let's be real careful about saying this. So I am aware of myself and I own, in a sense, this body is tied to that self, but the body That's the hardware. That's the hardware, right? Right, but the hardware didn't create the self. Okay, the self, myself, my sense of I-ness, my sense of, of waking up every morning and know I am me and not you, um, that self exists and is part of consciousness. Mm. And it is part of being conscious. And therefore, uh, since I cannot ever wake up and be any other person other than myself, my consciousness and self are inextricably linked, if not exactly the same thing at that level. Mm. And this, this begs the question then, how could a computer or any machine become aware of its self if it does not have a self? It must first have a sense of I-ness before it can become aware of that I-ness and thus become self-aware. No computer ever will express I am. Mm. And without that expression of I am, uh, it has no self and therefore cannot become self-aware. And as you say, it's merely a replica, um, a simulacrum of life. And, in, and it's just ourselves, is just humanity tricking our minds that these things could be yeah. uh, sentient. Yeah, I, I'm on board with that. And and the clue here we see in religion, you know, ego sum qui sum or ayer usher ayer I am that I am. That's so brilliant because they say that God created man in his, in his image, 
<clears throat> which basically no, no, no. Sorry, sorry. Yep. We got to be real clear here. Okay, yep. that's common. That's common parlance. But if you actually go back and look at the source material for that presumed statement, the word mm -hmm. God does not exist in the Bible. The word God is not part of any of the Jewish traditions. Of course not. There's no, no. The okay, that phrase, uh, "God created man," actually is Elohim created humanity. Right. Elohim is not God. Elohim is an untranslatable name that these people that existed here and, and genetically engineered us gave to themselves. It does not translate to God. But it's both male and female uh, form, I, I read. Elohim, Elohim is, the is the name of the, of the race, correct? Yeah, but it's a unisex uh, term that refers to both male and females. Elohim. All right. It's the same. Okay. All right. Well, Elohim is uh, equal to the word humanity. Humanity in no way expresses gender. Right. Elohim, Elohim, right. no no way inspect, uh, expresses gender. Correct. Mm. Mm. But, that's but of the Elohim, you know, they we know that specific Elohim created specific um, races of people around the, this planet. So we have to be very careful. There is no such idea. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And, and, and do arrest yeah. me again if I'm going fast through certain important terms. But, but, but my point is uh, still valid because... Whoever, because even if we use the bullshit translation, God created man in his image, it's the same meaning because it means that the creator, whoever, whatever that is, even if it's dudes uh, from another planet, they, they are the creators. And if they create something in their image, it means that we are small creators. It means we have that ability yeah. to, to bring something new into existence because replication transformation isn't the same as recreation or, or transmutation if you like so uh, that kind of distinguishes us from many other kind of life forms who well they can maybe they can recreate on a biological level but uh, you know arts all these things uh, ingenious things are that are associated with our level of consciousness sure. is something that comes from within and you can't project that onto computers. Computers can only work with what we've given them already, right? They can just correct, be... correct. Garbage in, garbage out, basically. <laughs> correct. They will no no computer will ever be able to be creative. No software can ever create any other software because it cannot make a choice. Choices are are always derived from uh, hormonal uh, impacts on our bodies that uh, are commensurate with our ideas of wanting and desire. And a computer cannot want or desire anything without having a flesh and blood body and the sensors and so forth that we have. So I agree with you 100% that a good definition of, of um, uh, uh, true life of, of this is being a creator. And if we look at the language here, let's just look at Greek mm -hmm. and in, in theos or enthusiasm in English, right? It means uh, sparked by the gods is one loose translation of it. I know. I love that translation. I love it. Okay. Yeah. But if we actually go back to where that word arrives from, derives from within uh, the history of the Greeks, the Greeks had a mythology, a creation myth that said basically um, that uh, the animals were made to be uh, as we are by the process of entheos, by the process of yeah. the gods sparking us. Mm. Well, how did they spark us? Well, they merged their own DNA into ours. And so you know, if we start looking mm. at a lot of the trans translations and 
this is getting straying from consciousness, but if we if we look at a lot of these, we find that the creation myths all around the planet go to the idea that there were hominids on this planet in a variety of, of um, forms, and that these other beings, which the um, Israelites and the uh, called uh, Elohim, mm. came down and made changes by introducing their own DNA to the um, DNA of the animals that they found around them, and they created humanity as a result of that. And it could be that whatever aspect of the DNA that they altered is what allows us to have that spark of creativity, that spark of consciousness and spark of awareness. The God gift. Correct, that we did not as animals. And mm. it doesn't mean that these beings were gods. It's just that that under our limited understanding at the time, that's how that we uh, phrased it. But um, the Salish myths up here, the Salish creation myths, uh, go to the idea of a very damaged earth and these beings showing up that were aquatic and uh, creating all that we had here and making all beings on the planet as they are now. And at those beings had, had instructed the... Um, they or had given to the uh, populations that they had created an understanding that it would take time, but we would mature to the point where we would be as they are relative to what right. we would consider the self or the soul. And we see that as also in the fears, for instance, <clears throat> that were expressed by the um, uh, Elohim about the Adamites, about the the peoples that they had created that, oh my gosh, now they are as of us and we can't let them have this tower of Babel mm, or they mm. will have control and be equal to us and cause us all kinds of problems. So basically, uh, we are their equal in that aspect of having the spark of creativity. And so we know that, that, uh, artificial intelligence is a very interesting tool. I happen to like it a lot because it means smart machine that smart machines that make my life a little easier. Once we get the, you know, the controlling buttheads out of the way and, and their evil plans, we can make AI be a very, um, um, uh, productive technology for all of us that'll make life a lot easier. But I'll never ever um, uh, go along with the idea that AI as we understand it or computers as we understand it could be uh, uh, sentient because they cannot be creative. Mm. They don't have uh, access to that strata of reality that... Well, they're not there. There's, well, there's no... Is it a self or the consciousness? Correct, correct. Correct. There's no self there. We, which one are, are they lacking? They're lacking the self. They're lacking the I-ness, the I am. And from there... So they every, have consciousness, no, but they don't no, have self-consciousness? No, no, no. They don't even have consciousness, okay? The right. Com it's computer, just information. Correct. It's just executing a little tiny instruction. I might, as a computer mm. program, I, programmer, I might write a line that had oh, five or six or seven words in it, but those words would go through a compiler and end up being translated into assembly language, and it might spit out, say, 400 instruction sets that have to be executed in a particular... Um, uh, uh, a sequence, but the instruction sets are very, very, really, they're very stupid. They say, move these four bytes over to this area of memory. And then it tells another part of uh, the computer, it says, take those four bytes and display them on the computer screen this way. And each of these mm -hmm. instruction sets are extremely minimal. <clears throat> and and no instruction set is aware of or has any awareness at all. The computer has no awareness at all, even with... Um, sensor devices, all it's doing is the, having those sensor devices get a time slice of the computer's um, master processor and react to the software that controls those devices. So the computer has no awareness and cannot have any awareness. And the um, 
uh, all of the examples we see of, for artificial intelligence are trickery, including the yeah. AI robots. The AI robots. Yeah, are, I've seen them. They are so creepy, very uncanny. And they, and they and they break down all the time. They have to have humans give them <coughs> commands to interact, and the, they have to do it on script or it continually breaks down. And it's basically but because you, you've seen them have a dialogue where they seemingly. Uh, you know, spring out their own uh, initiatives and questions without, are, are people faking, are they sitting and programming that uh, at a distance? Sure, sure, sure. They're, no, they're not programming at a distance, they're pre-programming it. They just put in all these possibilities within a uh, natural language processing accessed database. And so it says, uh, you know, if you decode and receive these words, go and look them up in this database and then use this algorithm to um, rate the potential responses and use it to build a potential response that is of this nature. You can actually uh, go online now and just look up um, uh, chatbots. And if you hunt around on chat... Yeah, I've interacted with them. That's funny. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're funny things, but they're entirely programmed. All of They that... all become Nazi after a while. They have to take them down. <laughs> Correct. Well, no. <laughs> I don't know what that says. There's, there's actually a, a large number of chatbots that are available that you can download the code and play with uh, on your right. PC and interact with. So whatever darkness you have in yourself, you bring it if out. you've interacted long enough with them, that's what they will reflect back to you. Because they take what we feed them and they throw that into the mix and spew it out again. Is sure, exactly. Like because that? they that's have, the so-called learning. That's exactly it. Because they have no, there's, there's no there there, there's no awareness, there's no conscious thought. It's what the programmer decided as an approach to trying to overcome this particular problem and how much they put into the database. You have those um, chatbots that have machine learning attached. Machine learning is, is a misnomer. It doesn't learn. It simply categorizes what's coming in and puts it into a database for future use based on algorithms that already exist within that PC. So, uh, you know, I mean, I hate to be a, um, uh, a, a source of rain on people's parades, but we don't have anything close to real AI. We have nothing at all like consciousness in a, in a computer. And the first person that is able to make consciousness in a computer will be the most famous individual on the planet and will have, you know, a Nobel Prize given to him every year for decades for that achievement <laughs> because it is just so staggeringly difficult to even con conceive about how we would create a self and there, thereafter give a computer the idea of awareness of itself and attach that self to the machine. It just didn't go to happen. The whole thing of transhumanism is a joke. It's a, it's a, yeah. um, a misunderstanding and aberration on the part of humans. And it's very much uh, akin to um, people in the 1800s uh, thought they discovered the secret to uh, long life forever. They thought they discovered the um, uh, fountain of youth. And there was a huge giant industry developed all around this um, this discovery, and and it swept through the society at a global level, and and killed and maimed uh, many tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of, of people. And it was all about the discovery of radioactivity. And it led to the idea that radioactivity could be uh, drunk and you would consume chi or ki and your, your life force would be uh, enhanced. And we used to sell little vials of radioactive um, uh, water for people to drink. It led to all mm -hmm. kinds of misunderstandings about what they were actually dealing with. So, for instance, they thought at that time that radioactivity was actually a discovery of, if you will, the source of life. 
And, right. and it turns out to be, you know, quite a horrid thing when you're dealing with it. All the radium girls that used to paint, um, the little dots on, on watches, you know, being poisoned by the radioactivity, all of these many different things, all from a misunderstanding and a widely accepted misunderstanding that swept through our social order. And so that's where we're at relative to this idea of well, artificial uh, intelligence. Okay, but you're bypassing a period in history where they upgraded that belief because at some point in the late 18th century and all the way to the Second World War, there was a boom in vibrational science and there was a lot of machines that were putting out frequencies that were new to us that we tried to map and understand. Yeah. And many of them claim that they were boosting maybe not consciousness but at least life force and kind of adjusting dissonance. In fact, this whole science went black and we know that they can create stuff like cancer with it and they can also heal with these machines. Yeah, sure. Tesla uh, I actually into have, this. have one of these machines I, and I've, I've messed with a couple of them. Yeah, yeah. which one? I, now I have the Skinar, the Skinar Cosmodique from Russia, which is a, mm. a handheld energy healing machine and I'm using it on my sore muscles in the move here. Okay, so you're on board with that then. Sure, I guess sure, you sure. Yeah, yeah, it works, it works great. Because this is different technology. This is... Uh, But nowhere did they think that they were involving uh, themselves with the source of life and, and in the no. time of the discovery of radiation as a, as a concept, they actually thought that was life force that was leaking out of these rocks and stuff and they could mix it into the water and you could enhance your life force. Here we know that the... But Wilhelm Reich thought that. He even were fighting these uh, invisible uh, uh, life-sucking creatures, you know? Right. Okay. And so this, this is where it gets really deep with the woo-woo stuff because we... Yeah. All right. So as, um, uh, as humans, we experience things that are not necessarily... Um, well, we experience a lot of things that are not within our understanding and we experience things that will take many years for us to think about it in order to integrate and come to some idea of what actually occurred. Not all humans, but many of them do sometimes in the case of, um, meditation, sometimes in the, in the course of, uh, encounters with psychedelic drugs, these kinds of things, we actually have, um, contact with and alterations of our perception of consciousness because we are, are able to contact the uh, other consciousness that we know is right. not ourselves. And, mm -hmm. and this is a very um, uh, smack-you-in-the-face kind of uh, experience for humans. So, you know, <clears throat> again, with the radiation stuff with uh, William Reich, William Reich actually thought he was able to concentrate uh, what he called the orgone waves, the, you know, the cosmic orgasm waves, and put them into, into people. And he was dealing at an energetic level that takes him back towards the pulse. And so all of these things are indeed, could be life enhancing, uh, but it's not as though uh, at that time they thought they were discovering the source of life, the actual uh, definitive, be able to mathematically no. chart key energy, right? No, no, nobody has recreated life in labs. Life comes from life. Always. Correct. <laughs> Correct. And so here we've got a situation where in the 1800s they were wrong. And here we are in the, in the 2000s and we're wrong about AI and our, and our public perceptions of it are, are uh, um, grossly wrong. Uh, it's still proceeding and still working and anybody who's actually working in the field, writing the code and so on, knows exactly what they're dealing with and they don't have that understanding. But the larger 
mass of the populace seems to to think that computers could become aware, could become self-aware yeah. because they they think that at some point uh, it could become a self. And here's where the schism lies. All right, in my understanding, mm -hmm. there seems to be a um, uh, a split. That uh, and it's not going to be clear, but let's just say that there's a split, and some 75% of the population of the planet in general seems to think we are meat computers. That a human being is it becomes conscious simply because of the total number of neurons in their brain, and thus, and it's often said that we have 10 billion uh, neuron uh, potential neuron uh, firing sequences within our brain. Yeah, yeah. Hang on, that that's the materialism fail that the brain produces consciousness. Correct. Like the Correct. Bladder produces urine. Correct. But also that same by that same logic, then, however flawed it might be, by that same trail of thought, a computer potentially with enough registers could replicate and become conscious because it could theoretically cross some very minimum necessary threshold in the number of, of registers or neurons in order to become conscious. Right. And so I, I would dispute that. It'll never happen in my way of thinking because the because consciousness is not determined by the number of neurons you have in your brain. It's an entirely different um, uh, aspect of the experience of life. Yeah, you can't just add up neurons and say that converts to intelligence. Or not intelligence, consciousness. Or awareness. Big, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so it doesn't occur. So we can get the larger, largest computers ever, and they will be no more closer to understanding, to, to having self-awareness uh, mm. than an amoeba. And no matter how many uh, registers we put into those computers, they will never achieve a minimum threshold and become self-conscious. So my cat is closer to being self-conscious than the computer. Your cat than is the most a, advanced computer. Exactly. Computer. It's far more advanced than any computer ever will be. Bear in mind, computers are, are do one thing very, very, very well, and that is to execute one instruction set at a time and then execute the next one. And they do them so blindingly fast that our senses are tricked into seeing it as a, yeah. a, a non-interrupted sequence. Have you seen that movie? Uh, I forgot it. The, the name of it. It's a very well-made movie. It's a guy who's invited by a crazy millionaire to meet his uh, AI robot. Of course, she's like a pretty girl. And she tricks him to think that she's a prisoner. So he eventually is uh, seduced by her and lets her out. And, of course, she's a complete psychopath. <laughs> no, no, I haven't seen you this. Can't, you can't trust anything she's saying. It's a great movie. It won many prizes. Uh, I'll eventually find the title and send it to you. You'll enjoy this. Sounds good. But the thing is, it doesn't matter if this creature is alive or not, because it's, like you say, it's faking that it's alive. And if it's advanced enough, it can move about as a human being. It can interact as a human being. And everything is just programs. It makes you, of course, ask, is there someone controlling it at the end of the line? <laughs> but the point is, if we can be tricked to think it's alive, it, it really doesn't make any difference to us because then they uh, pose a real danger to our existence. No, I would dispute that. I'm sorry, I'm not one who's uh, afraid of those kind of machines. Yeah, let's hear. Okay, see, the thing is that human beings are as they are because of the way that our bodies are constructed. 
And so, for instance, we have four sensory organs. All of our sensory organs are in our head. All right. We so we have four senses. We don't have. So you exclude uh, tactile. Correct, uh, because tactile uh, is not a is not a, a sense in the way that the others are senses. All right. So we have senses. We have eyes that deliver to us an image. We have ears that deliver to us an image. Same thing with both taste and smell. We don't, for instance, see light ever. And even our eyes don't see light. They see the reflected image of things that reflected that reflect light, but we never see the light itself. And then we interpret that impression in a consciousness. Even further, correct. But bear in mind yep. that our eyes are are screening out all of this stuff and presenting to us a a completed process. They are sub processing units. Mm. They're the equivalent of graphics cards kind of things in a computer, right? Mm. Or a network card. They're not part of the main board, but they're a necessary part of the functionality that occurs. So under the circumstances, uh, these uh, four senses, all within the cranium, do not include touch. But the sensation of touch, is, while it's not a sense, is in fact our direct connection to our um, feeling body, our, our body-mind, okay? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm uh, operating under the, under the uh, premise that, we, that humans have multiple minds and that, that people like uh, uh, Shlomo Sigismund Freud uh, were entirely wrong and that we don't have a single mind. We, in fact, have multiple minds. And we usually operate in three of these multiple minds. There's actually seven. But we operate within body-mind, desire mind or feeling mind feeling mind in this sense is is uh, being stated as uh, from an emotional viewpoint an emotional feeling not mm. a sense of, of mm, touch okay. okay so we get touch out of the body mind and the body mind is not conscious it's conscious of its task but it has no consciousness the body mind is is only conscious of itself when it's in great distress and then you cannot be in either desire mind or feeling mind very long because you're yanked back to the the uh, force of the body mind. So whenever you had a life-threatening wound or a wound that produces a great deal of pain, you could not get into desire mind or or feeling mind if you tried. Mm. And then and then. Um, so in this aspect, computers and, and AI-driven devices don't have any uh, separation in their instruction sets. So, so a computer would have no way of knowing that you were doing something uh, – oh, the only thing it could anticipate would be that you were doing something outside of its programmed understanding of what humans do. But it has no knowledge up until it explodes that you were shoving an explosive into its somewhere to destroy it or pulling its plug if it was attached to an electrical device. They'd have no way of knowing that this was occurring, nor could they prevent it. No, but they can fake it. They can fake everything. And no, see, it's be any smarter. Okay, this is garbage in, garbage out. That's not true that they can fake everything. It's not possible to have a database that's large enough to deal with true randomness. Mm. Okay, and computers cannot ever generate a true random number. If you look at the random number generation capability of any computer, it's all based on this function in assembly language, is the RNDM or random function. And that only works in a narrow, very narrow range. And it even excludes specific numbers because of the way that binary is is done. There are a lot of numbers, for instance, you cannot actually express in a binary code. If you look it up, it'll be quite shocking, but that's the truth. Mm. And so these guys uh, that are suggesting that we're going to have um, or that, that we could fake the idea that, um, you know, it's going to know that you're going to pull the plug on the computer. Um, uh, 
you could, in fact, have a programmer that was smart enough to put in a, uh, a camera that always looked at the plug and was um, anticipating this kind of an action, right? Mm -hmm. But if that programmer defended against it so that I'm standing there and I, and I, you and I are there. Okay. And we're facing this computer that's plugged into the wall that we think of as being, uh, AI and it's going to defend itself based on what these, com the uh, computer programmers put into it. Mm -hmm. Well, all right. So I watch you go on over to pull the plug out and I see that you were incinerated by a green laser that the guys got, that the programmers had built in to protect that plug. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so I, as a human being and being creative, I will do something outside of what those programmers had anticipated. And so I don't see, and so my attempt might be to, uh, get your girlfriend's bottle of, or a can of hairspray and use it as a flamethrower in order to destroy the plug and cause a short circuit. And I would not therefore be exposed to the laser beam because they had not, the computer programmer had not anticipated I would take that approach yeah. and computers can't be creative and they're only limited to what the programmer could have put in there ahead of the incident. But what about this so-called self-learning, um, that's, possibility. Okay, that's there's no self there. It this, the no. machine learning comes down to slice and dice and shove it into a database. All right, so it's all discrete, it's all um, chunked up, and then you would have another chunk of the computer code that did stuff with the database. But just because it's in the database doesn't necessarily means it, it mean it would be ever be active. So you could have one programmer that wrote the. Uh, analysis routines that that took all the information that was coming into the mini sensors that went into the computer and he and it did beautiful quote what we call as machine learning and basically it's just slicing and dicing impressions coming in through the sensors and putting them in to the the database and that in no way connects to the ability to use that information because what if the programmer that wrote the the code about using that information had huge gaps in their understanding and they'd never ever look in these rows of the database that it might indeed have something that could have been used at that time yeah so it's still dependent on its creators, what they could, can foresee. Garbage in, garbage out. feed into it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, okay, okay, I have a little more complex question then that begs itself, uh, if you bear with me. Sure. Because we know, for instance, last time you were on, I mentioned the consciousness experiment where they <clears throat> use, I think, only binary stuff, but they try to make some random, uh, they try to influence the outcome beyond random which they have managed to do, by the way. Yeah. And we know, I mean, Schrodinger's cat, everything, we know that consciousness interacts with matter and we know that it's not a matter of uh, what will happen, it's a matter of what the observer, the observer can't be distinguished from the observed. The observer is actually influencing the observed, right? This is a standard rule by now and, and also st standard science. But here's the question. Mm -hmm. If we can influence with our consciousness, computer codes and, and this uh, type of information. And if we have to distinguish, like you said, between self and the vehicles where they manifest, like a, a body or a computer, but they don't have the self, that means that you can have, we, we have our self and we have our bodies to express it with. But in theory, you could have a self that didn't have a body. Now, my question is, could it be... Uh, imaginable that some kind of self, some kind of entity, consciousness, whether it has a body or not, 
whether it's incarnate or disconnect, uh, I guess is the proper terms, could that influence and hijack uh, advanced AI? That's that's conceivable that uh, that you could have a non-corporeal self uh, attached to stuff. And we see that within humans, where humans are frequently subjected to such attachments. And it is um, legion in our history uh, the number of episodes of, uh, you know, possession and this sort of thing that occurs. Mm-hmm. So I would buy that basic premise up to the point that we start talking about it being a machine, because you might as well then express as Stephen King did the idea that consciousness could attach itself to a 57 Chevy. Uh, yeah, but this is the premise for, or with a goal, I think. I think the goal, at least in transhumanism, is to preserve material life by fusing us with machines sure it's sure. not even the golem or frankenstein version it's an it's a digital version it's a much worse sure version. and they're they're quite they're quite wrong they're uh, you know radium girls they they think that they've discovered something and they're a hundred percent wrong about it and they're still going down on this trail assuming they're correct and they so transhumanism is a dead end, and it'll die out in the next few years I hope as so. they realize their goals will never be reached. But nevertheless, can you preserve consciousness uh, and then make it interact with machine? No, I don't. I, I don't materially or non-materially, metaphysically. I don't. I don't. Okay, now consciousness uh, alive in a body can certainly cause things to occur, including even the manipulation of time. And right. so I've read Cozy Rev's experiments, um, both in the translated form and in the original. Russian. Wow. And, and Cozy Rev did indeed uh, do experiments that proved that humans can, in, uh, that human consciousness can influence and change time. And everyone can do an experiment and prove this to themselves. It's really simple. I've done it repeatedly and, it, and it's amazing in its results. Let's and take two, piece, yeah, two, take two pieces of iron, uh, two nails, two steel nails or pieces of uh, non-galvanized wire. You can even do it galvanized, but it would just take too long. But the idea is that rust never sleeps, okay? Mm-hmm. And so you, you get this iron wet and you put it in a, a paper towel or something that keeps it wet, put that into a box and you separate these two. It's an experiment. One is the control and one is the active participant. You take the control piece of metal that's wet and make sure they're both wet to the same degree and they're both placed in environments where they could rust. And so frequently the easiest way to do this is to take the um, uh, the control uh, chunk of iron, put it in a wet paper towel, put it in a plastic sack with some exposure to oxygen, uh, but enough to keep the moisture there, put that into a box and set it off somewhere where you're not even going to think about it. Mm. You don't even want to look at it and the goal is to put a date in your calendar that says go and pick both of the these together and put them next to each other. Now, the the active one, you're going to do all of the same kind of things. You're going to have it in a plastic sack. It's going to have the same level of water. You're going to have the same exposure to oxygen. Only in this sense, you're going to go and visit it every day. You're going to go and open up the box every day and look at it, uh, think about it for uh, a few minutes then, and think about it throughout the course of the day. If you come back in six weeks, you will see noticeably far less rust on the one you're thinking about. Okay, so your conscious thoughts, just all, all, you, all you have to do is say, nice nail, nice little bit of wire, I like you. And that's all you have to do. And then you come back, come back six weeks later, and that, that particular chunk of iron is far less rusted in the wow. care of your consciousness. This is similar to a mortal's water experiment. 
Correct. Correct. And, and Cozy Rev did this down to the point where he had it quantified and qualified and was doing all kinds of fantastic experiments with stuff that was buried in the ground and these sorts of things. He even did it um, at second and third hand. So he would bury some tests into the ground in areas that he knew about, unmarked locations, but he was had written down where they were. And he would share with someone this idea and then have that person share with someone else entirely so that you have this distortion effect of this idea. Mm. And he would have this third party worry about the, the chunk of iron that was rusting in the ground. And the one who knew the, the one that was disclosed to that third party would rust less than the one that was totally not disclosed. So consciousness can work at a distance. It can work through other consciousness. It can work through a level of vague awareness and, and it works at all of these different levels. And cozy rev went to some time and trouble to, um, document all of these various different facts about consciousness and it's interacting with matter. And mm -hmm. so, so cozy revs approach to this, I, I find to be the most valid. Now, consciousness is extremely powerful because it, in my opinion, is everything. It is the pulse that creates matter. And, uh, we are, um, conscious, this is a layer that rides on the conscious pulse and that the consciousness is pulse. This is the conscious pulse of that creates all of reality becoming aware of itself in the guise of us as humans. And it is an extremely powerful thing, but, and it can indeed become detached. Okay. And so I personally have had instances in my life where I had to interact with detached consciousness. Mm. Um, in the case of a, a number of people that have died and would come and visit me within the 24 hour period after their death. Yeah. And, and I would interact with them. In another case, you can actually get consciousness that's, um, um, twisted by its reality as a human such that it persists for some period of time after the death, not merely the 24 hours. And this is where we get the idea of haunting and ghosts and these kind of things. Yeah, in the Tibetan tradition, they send out, you know, Bardo Turtle, right? The death book. Mm -hmm. They send out the trained monks uh, as a death help to, to help uh, the guide transition yeah. phase, yeah, guide them yeah. through, and and they say, and they agree with uh, one of the traditions I've studied the most is an ancient Greek tradition, a Pythagorean one. But I see this in many traditions that they agree with each other. They say that the sounds, the air. Uh, perception is the last function to go to correct. stop working yeah and they say that takes about three days to a week it depends on the decomposition and how fast the life force is leaving the body right but the point is that uh yeah so you're talking about disconnect energy you're talking about uh, and we see and, that we yeah. see that actually with uh people that are doing channeling okay there's, there's two forms of channeling. I'm very skeptical, I have to admit. I'm very skeptical because, I mean, most channeling cases I see is just that they externalize an aspect of the ego. Correct. I don't, I don't buy the idea. That comes the... back to them and they think, and they deify it or spiritualize yeah. it. It's an alien, it's a spirit, it's a dead person, it's a demon, whatever. But this is really just that they don't have their grip together. Like Pythagoras said, Human beings have to become one. Yep. They have a split, uh, an inner split that haunts them. And and we have to, uh, like Gurdjieff said, we have fragmented selves and we have to collect them. And if we can collect them, that's holism, right? Correct. Healing really means to become one, to, to gather everything together. 
then you are starting to become like the so-called enlightened people. And then I agree that you may get some impulses that are really transpersonal. But it's very hard because any transpersonal impulse has to go through the ego. And most of the people who claim they are channelers have never even dealt with the ego. They're not enlightened. They're not (laughs) sages, right? They're just just people in midlife crisis who took a course, saw an interesting effect, and now think they're some mystical voo person so i i discard maybe that's my bias but i have to be honest i that's discard 90 percent of everything so i should say that's probably 90 percent of all the channelers okay yeah. fall into that category which is the mind chasing itself exactly. and finding itself and not recognizing itself and therefore being amazed by itself all right exactly this is my pet peeve with, with this right voo. there are however there there are channelers that are um, that are able to deal with the mind. Um, I, I don't follow Freud, so I won't use the term ego. No, he's debunked. He he actually right. is uh, revealed to have uh, falsified. So he's not even a scientist. Forget Freud. He's done. Right. But the mind, if we just put it that way, the mind yep. is uh, always going to provide an answer no matter what, okay? Because yep. that's its job. However inappropriate, all it does is attempt to find a, an answer that satisfies. And it's attempting to satisfy an emotional condition which is driven ultimately by hormones. But let's postulate that there are those individuals that due to their own nature, their perhaps psychic ability, but also their, the own nat- their, the nature of their mind, they are able to get their um, conscious awareness out of the process and allow a gap, if you will, an empty space. Let's say a Tesla, for instance. Correct. Okay. Now, the people that are doing these kind of things uh, that are going to do such channeling will or, or have the potential to, in fact, encounter disembodied, disincarnate self. All right, because these do exist. I'm not convinced that they are um, anything more than than nature matter that's out and about loose and is just in a realm of frequency that we're not able to ascertain and see. However, here is the the net result from a yogic perspective, because they speak about this in many of the yogi literatures and warn you not to go down this route, right? And what what they describe happening is that you are able to enter a place where you can remove yourself from the process of observing. And this is what for instance, uh, you would attempt to do as a meditator, especially with Zazen, is to is mm. to focus on self so much that it becomes the dominant of everything, and then you go into the middle of it and it disappears, because if you're in the middle of the donut, you can't see the donut. But in that process, you may open yourself up to these disembodied um, forms of self that are incomplete beings. But these incomplete beings can actually extract energy from our bodies. And they do so through the thoughts that we give them and uh, allow them to uh, express. And so right. you'll go and you'll see these channelers. And I've done this twice in my my recent adult life where I've been in a situation where I've been able to see a channeler in a, a room of adherents or devotees, right? Mm-hmm. And in that case, I am able to observe because I've trained myself well enough to be able to see aura, especially under fluorescent lights, that um, I'm able to actually see that there is an entrainment of the aura that's going on 
of the devotees that are basically sending energy to the channeler. And the channeler is acting as a conduit for mm -hmm. that energy to this disembodied whatever. And the disembodied whatever is actually up there drawing off on their aura, actually actively sucking, if you will, some levels mm. of their their uh, psychic and emotive and key energy out of their brain in exchange for what that, that entity is providing to the brain, which is basically all nonsense. We know or, that... Or, or sexual energy. We call it incubus or succubus. Correct, in correct. You could have and, it, and that's what Willem Reich wanted to, to, to clean us from. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And so these these kind of channelers do exist. I think there may be about 10% of the group. And I think that the, according to the yogic tradition, such individuals, should they persist in this activity, end up as schizophrenics and worse in their next life. Because see, they're I, unable I to... Think, yeah, go on. They're go unable on. to determine reality from unreality. Right. But I see, I distinguish between a different form of metaphysical activity. Let's, let's say telepathy, that's something else. Uh, projection or astral projection, that's mm -hmm. a distinct phenomenon in my book. Mm -hmm. And and then you have uh, what you call channeling, uh, traditionally called mediumism. Yeah, uh, in mediumism. And sure. I agree that's unhealthy. Madame Blavatsky already uh, 150 years ago talked about how it... Uh, can actually lead to many kinds of diseases, like uh, often they will become fat <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and all sorts of uh, immune uh, diseases and even anemic and, and you name it. But uh, so I'm not discounting. Do you, do you know, by the way, the show called Skeptical? No. It's a brilliant science show. It's probably the best. Oh, oh you mean uh, on YouTube? Uh, he, I think he has some programs on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, but it's Alex uh, Sakiris. He actually yeah. researched AI and he's totally in line with you uh, on this uh, matter. But he has had so many scientists on mainstream and everything. And especially he's been exploring consciousness. And we don't even have to go to Kosarev and Tesla or, or, or Reich and geniuses. Even in mainstream science, it's proven beyond any shadow of a doubt, that consciousness can do work. That means that consciousness can influence, can lead to practical realities. It, when I interviewed Alex, he gave the example that if you're in the desert and you see a mirage, right? Mm -hmm. They will explain that as all sorts of uh, non-real thing. But if that mirage of, let's say, uh, a person saying, <laughs> selling water, if you follow that and there's actually a person selling water there, then consciousness does work. Right. Call it illusion, call it hallucination, doesn't work, then it does work. And that's what they've proven, that consciousness does work. And they've also proven that consciousness is not attached uh, in order to have its own existence. It's not determined by the biological component. Uh, yes, it is when we're incarnate and we express ourselves and we receive impressions. Obviously, there's an interaction there, right? But mm -hmm. consciousness isn't dependent on that bio biology in order to have its own existence. When we die, it's beyond our measurement. But from all they've found out, you can't explain it any longer, only with brain and neurology and all that stuff. And sure, an electrical firing, right. So this is, this is mainstream science even, but it's not known because the, you won't read about it in the papers and CNN and whatever, so people are not aware. So in mainstream science, we know that consciousness influence and consciousness has a 
potential detachment. But I'm still not clear on when you deny or reject that we can preserve consciousness and then attach it to mm-hmm. uh, machines. That's through the material method then. But uh, do you recognize that uh, a metaphysical component could influence these AI or these machines, if not the material? Sure. Sure. If you wanted to do that, you could probably get a larger, we could perform an experiment and and do very much like the uh, Princeton eggs, the consciousness um, experiment there. And we could decide that, okay, all of us are going to sit here and we're going to meditate on this particular idea and make the Sophia, the um, uh, theoretically self-aware robot do X, Y, and Z according to whatever our, our idea is. And so I would buy that we could actively put Uh, key energy behind our consciousness and influence things at at a remote level. I also know that consciousness cannot be preserved because it it's, it's non-preservable. It can't be destroyed. It can't be altered. It can't be changed Mm. in no way. Can it, can any individual ever change their consciousness? They can change their awareness and they can become more conscious of things, more aware of things, but their underlying consciousness can't be distorted or altered in any way, shape or form by any activity that they would do. And so consciousness cannot be, um, extracted from the body, Mm. uh, that it can't be attached to something else because that's down to the level of the gross materialist who thinks that the, you know, the sheer number, but we also know that consciousness exists. You can't put it into a computer. Correct. You couldn't put it into a, which is their wet dream. Right. And, and looked like the Egyptians, they were attempting to disassociate all of the parts of the body to preserve consciousness in the little Coptic jars, this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Also, by the way, an interesting note is that if you look at the funerary, um, uh, uh objects that are put into Egyptian, uh, uh, tombs, you'll find that the pancreas had, uh, symbols saying the seat of consciousness. And so when the Pancreatic. Yeah, but but I I think your take on the Egyptians now is to this is a misunderstanding. They had a very deep knowledge. Yes. They, they wanted. To, they realized that if you preserve the body in the death phase, it will ease the rink. It's the opposite of burning it, but basically uh, to preserve it as much as possible will make. For a trained person, maybe not someone who's not trained, you know, just an ordinary plebe would probably panic and what's going on, right? <laughs> you better right. help him. But if you are out to reincarnate deliberately, and maybe if you're going to go home to Orion or Sirius or wherever they believe you can beam the consciousness, then giving them time to maneuver in the middle life so to speak you know uh, in the metempsychosis yeah yeah metempsychosis there but that, then, was, that was also a, a screw-up on their part okay a couple of things okay. we have to a- ascertain here yep. first off humans were not intended to be mummified okay the egyptians did not intend to mummify humans those humans that were mummified and put in with uh the royals were there to become zombies worker right. worker bots it was only it was only the royals, only the Elohim. It was only the, the trained ones. Uh, yeah. No, 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 no. The biologically different, elongated skulls, different species than uh, oh. uh, Homo sapiens sapiens. All right. right. So, so Nefertiti, King Tut, all of these people were not as we are. They are mm. not of our genetics. These are different species, and this different species had. Uh, uh, this understanding about their progress. But now, if we go to the yogi, if we go to the Taoist, 
um, traditions, we find that that is an anathema. That's, and I shouldn't use that word, that's Catholicism-based, but it is uh, uh, the opposite of what you should do. The idea mm. is that you should consume the body as rapidly as possible in the materium in order to allow the metempsychoses to be entered into fully. That the longer the body is preserved and uh, held in a uh, non or in a corporeal state, the longer that, that you keep a person in their hell. And this is where the understanding comes in, all right? So when humans die, consciousness uh, separates from the body. And in, in so doing, certain things must occur. One of those things is that you must go through hell, and you must also, and then you also go into heaven. So all humans both go into hell and go to mm -hmm. heaven. The two states exist simultaneously, and mm -hmm. they are not uh, mutually exclusive. And so in the, in the hell, your soul is actually consumed by a process that we in this materium would think of as being in fire. Yeah, the Egyptians said this too. They, they said that, and I've studied the papyrus in British Museum myself. Mm -hmm. They said that you have to cross the lake of fire. And the problem with the weighing is that you're... Basically, what we do is that we bring our luggage, mm -hmm. and what burns in that lake of fire is anything but the purity of the region that would be love and wisdom, basically, if we're going to translate it. Everything else, all attachment will burn, and that is experienced as hell, because we, instead of having a pure realization of a real self being love and wisdom, we think it's the ego, we think it's the attachment, the, the desires, the illusions that we're carrying, the luggage, basically, yes. and that burns, and that will be experienced as hell. And only if we manage to pass that and go... When we come out on the other side, then we are pure. But the most people, because they don't have a clear self-identification, they will feel like they are burning. And that will traumatize them so much that when they're on to the other side, uh -huh. they have no awareness anymore. They're being thrown back in reincarnation without being able to manage that position. Whereas if we could have a transition phase that were more harmonious, that where we didn't feel like we were burning, where the light were actually, you know, elevating us and the heaven part of it. Then I, and see, I dispute all of that because yeah. I, it is necessary that you be both in hell and in heaven. So let's, let's examine heaven for a few minutes and then we'll go into hell, okay? Yeah. Yeah. First off, when everybody goes to heaven and you are there forever, there is no time in heaven, therefore there's no sense of... of because you're uh, outside of time, right? Correct, you're outside of time. And also in yeah. heaven, also everyone's heaven is entirely unique. There are no other beings in your state of being in heaven. We can, mm. we can just a simple thought experiment tells you that this would be the case. If we were both... No, but it's logical because if we're outside of time... We're outside of space, and if we're outside of time and space, we're outside of separation, then all is one. Well, there's a, yeah, there's another aspect of that though, <clears throat> that since our consciousness is indeed discrete one from another, even though we may feel the, the blinding sense of, uh, bind, uh, bonding with everything in reality, we still have that level of separation that we call self self mm. it requires that separation, separation and it exists mm. forever. So when you go to heaven, you're in a, in a state that we could say, let's just call it as bliss. Well, mm. your, your bliss 
uh, would in your heaven would be extremely distressed if I was in my heaven and they were in a shared space, so to speak, a shared space and non-time, because you might be distressed by the way I reacted to you and everything. You will ruin my heaven. Correct. <laughs> Get out. Correct. Correct. And so, <laughs> and so it's all heavens are, are absolutely independent of everyone else. And so it's, you may see your um, past relatives in your heaven, but those are being generated as an entirely uh, interpersonal process and, mm. and not involving their… their um, or your deities or whatever Pat loves. Correct, or. correct. And so there is no other being there in your heaven at all during this period of time, and you are there in perpetuity. Now, while that is going on, the template that is, is uh, your… Uh, template for life in the materium is being uh, consumed to, as you say, burn off all the luggage, burn off all the experience mm. and everything. That is all burned down and put in and uh, boiled down to a thick syrupy mass. And that mass is taken as a single drop from one life into the next. And that's where intuition comes from. And right. intu intuition is the ability to know something without being able to, or without having thought about it, without having cogitation, step A to step B and so on. You just simply know the answer. And the reason you know the answer is that you brought that um, knowledge over with you into this next life, and you're quite hang on, hang on. So, so sure. it's all if it's all burned uh, into ashes, and it's not thrown away. It's being recirculated, and then it's being given to you in your next incarnation as a gross material, as a prima material, as a yeah. energy origin point for your next incarnation. But it's not any more linked directly, experience for experience. It's just a big cup of Intuition. experiences. Correct. And this is this makes our minds work from life to life because it would be quite disconcerting to be driving down the road and suddenly have a, an emotional experience that seemed more real than the present moment and it involves you back several thousand centuries. You know, that mm -hmm. sort of thing, right? Uh, because our lives are, are perpetual and, and um, episodic. You might have many, 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 many lives and you could not function in this life if you had memories of any of your past lives. So anybody doing past life regression or or saying, you know, I was the Queen Nefertiti's handmaid and all of that, that's fine. Everybody was, was Napoleon sure, sure. and Cleopatra. Exactly. And that's and that's the the curse of you know of what we think of as uh, the mind in this life and its um, its desires for special t uh, aggrandizement and so on and so uh, under the circumstances past life regression is is a waste of time you can get yeah I mean I, I usually just say how do you know it's your life you're tapping into correct. Correct. And even it's a collective unconscious out there. So sure. in here, out there. Yeah. Now, we, we actually have instances of um, reincarnation where people have reincarnated soon enough that they're able to say, oh, look, you know, at, at three, yeah. year, three years old, they're able to say, I want to see my other yeah. mother. And it creates these instances where they're actually able to find another family and siblings and so on. Usually by the time… Hang on, hang on. I just let me give a shout out. Sure. I'm going to interview the world's leading uh, scientific researcher on reincarnation. You'll hear, folks, all these stories Cliff is referring to, especially among children. It's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, go on. I was going to say, and we'll note that most of those are shed by the time you're eight years old or thereabout. 
adults. Okay. Most right, right. by that time, these, these children no longer have firm memories and so on. Yeah. The ego is, is, is at the strongest point then. Correct. They've developed. But ego. also let's now what's going on. If we examine it at a mechanistic level, we find that such individuals that are relating their, their lives to a, a recent incarnation didn't live a very key filled life in the life that passed, all right? right? And so so I'm of the Im- impression and understanding that the more energetic a person is in this life, the longer the period of metempsychosis, the longer it takes to burn off the experiences, to get yourself Obviously. acclimatized, and so on. It's logical, isn't it? Correct. You, you More energy. You have more stuff to process. Right. And there's also a third part of this that very few people uh, recognize, but we always encode it, at least in English, where we say, R.I.P., rest in peace. Okay, because (laughs) because there's hell in which the soul is scrubbed off of all of its previous experiences and made clean again for your next life and in which it's given the encapsulated understanding of all its previous lives in the form of intuition. There's heaven in which your consciousness is cleared of all of the emotional damage and trauma and everything in which you you uh, gain a new perspective for the next life. Yeah, you feel absoluted. Yeah, that, right, uh, but, forgiveness. That's heaven. But there's also there's also the long rest. Okay, there is actually a third part of the metempsychosis, which is simply the long rest. And the more energetic a person is, the longer that rest usually is. And we have some instances of of, um, people being born that were highly energetic in one life, and they come back uh, relatively soon, um, you know, say within 100 years or, or whatever, have a strong connection to a previous life and are quite mad and crazy. (laughs) <laughs> because they didn't have enough time in their long rest to be able to cope with it all. Right. And and so some of this is at our direction. And, uh, some of this is under our control. And we, if we do our consciousness studies and we go into yoga, as opposed to uh, even some Taoist did this uh, approach, but there was the um, uh, idea of meditation as an, as an attempt to charge your key battery su- such that when you died, you had energy that was already previously packed into your consciousness such that in the metempsychosis, you have more uh, opportunity to uh, demonstrate willpower, to make a choice, hmm. uh, even though you won't have the same kind of emotional impetus towards making a choice because you don't have hormones once your body is gone, you will still ha- find that, that there might be um, instances where you need to have the energy to make a choice as, a, as opposed to um, uh, simply going on with the flow, right? Mm-hmm. And, so, and so there are those individuals that uh, as masters of yoga, their intent was to be able to uh, take that energy such that they were able to uh, in the metempsychoses, get things set up for their next life. And so we find within the yoga tradition, you can do all of these, um, the yogas uh, of uh, Naropa. I'm sure you're familiar with those guys mm-hmm. that, uh, out of the Himalayas. That was yeah. more than just a song. That was more than just the uh, guiding language to get someone to cross over. It's a whole series of, of techniques you can use to build up this energy such that you can make yourself be born with some of your yogic abilities in the next life. And Mm -hmm. so that that is a practical use for the meditation if one should decide to go there. But getting back to consciousness real quickly, just on its own, 
we know that consciousness, while it can't be preserved or stuffed in a jar or any of this sort of thing, is indeed separate from our bodies. And we know this because we can do astral projection. And you can even do astral projection up to the point where your body dies because you've removed an enough. unremote viewing. Correct, correct. But just the astral projection part here. Okay, let's just examine this for a second. Because mm-hmm. in the astral projection, different from remote viewing, in remote viewing, the idea is that you will pull an image into your current uh, consciousness, wherever that. Yeah, you're basically reading information out in the objective world. Exactly, exactly. You, you, but you're not leaving your body in any way. Correct. But you can actually do a technique where you uh, uh, make the consciousness uh, shed the body to some uh, greater or lesser degree based on your skill. And in doing so, you're free to, as consciousness, to explore uh, uh, what of the material universe is addressable at that stage. Like in deep sleep, only you are conscious. Uh, Quite correct. Okay. Uh, Actually, there's an element of it that's different though, okay? Mm. And this, in real astral projection, there's this element of risk. And the element of risk is that when you're actually uh, projecting, you are aware of your body not being where your consciousness is and that you must get your consciousness back to your body at the end of this whenever, and that uh, there is a, a sensation, an awareness, that, that the consciousness is at risk outside of the body under these circumstances. Mm. Uh, you need to protect the silver string, right? Correct, the silver cord. Yeah, cord. The, your connection to the body. Correct, and you go through these techniques that uh, allow you to build the silver cord and uh, it's, it, you keep 10% in the body under certain conditions and circumstances. And you do a lot of these exercises within yoga that are not the asanas, but are the uh, bidi, bindi. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and these are the exercises that are done with the abdomen the way that the, they do in ni kung, uh, which is another internal art that ch- uh, seeks to achieve many of the same goals. Chinese, right. though. And in, mm-hmm. these, in these cases, the, um, uh, the, well, the interesting thing about astral projection is that you can encounter in your projecting the experience with other consciousness, some of which you can recognize as human, much of which you recognize as not human, but consciousness that arose in some other form. This would be equivalent to the shamanic journeys in the neither world and the upper world, right? Correct, correct, exactly so. Shaman that are doing these kinds of things may use a technique uh, which we would call micro-dosing. So the curanderos in Mexico, okay, the shaman in Mexico that use uh, magic mushrooms as their uh, technique, as their tool. Ayahuasca and stuff like that? No, specifically talking about magic mushrooms here, Ayahuasca is a, a different... Oh, yeah, but I know what you mean. Yeah, magic yeah. mushroom, very popular in Norway since the Viking time. Yeah. Okay, and so so these guys, though, developed a technique that is very similar. The, the curanderos in Mexico develop a technique that is very similar to what the yogis practice. The yogis also use psychedelic drugs to this effect. Mm. But you're not attempting to become influenced by the drug. The amount that you take in these um, meditations to go to the land of the dead and to do these other wanderings is on a level of a subcritical dose. But because you have that molecule, what they call the moat in your eye, in your body, you're able to do things with that molecule based on your consciousness and use it, if you will, as a vehicle for this separation and and then these wanderings. And uh, it can be quite dangerous and many people lose their personalities and don't ever really reintegrate once they've done these things yeah. because, because they many people encounter very terrible um, 
examples of consciousness out in these journeys. It's not all yeah. light and peace and nice out there. No. In most mystery schools I've studied in, they, they warn against astral projection, actually, journeying, you know, roaming yes. around like it's that. It's extremely dangerous. It requires a specific kind of a personality. I, okay, I believe it's one of Buddha's siddhis, isn't it? Mm -hmm. The siddhis mm -hmm. he warned against. But you know, Cliff, time has flown already. We were supposed to go to a break 15 minutes ago. Uh, let's just take that quick break now and uh, and uh, end on this high note. <laughs> okay. And then we come back and I have a million more questions for you uh, just by everything we've talked about so far. <laughs> okay. okay. Sounds good? Sounds good. I'll, I'll be I'll back, be in, back in, in, in a few minutes here then. Great, great, great. All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. Thanks. 